Hi! I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes. A true crime podcast. (laughs) Okay, friends. So we have another surprise murder case today that we're going to be talking about. And um, are you ready to learn what the murder case is? I know it's a historical murder case. Yes. So it's a slight historical murder case. Um, Slight? (laughs) Slight. Well, you know, it took place in 1922. So it's still in the... 20th century, lol. <laughs> and um, it uh, it kind of stirred up a lot of different things, and it actually helped um, a very famous writer write a very famous book. And you'll... is it based on this? Yes. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yes. So supposedly, there's speculation. There's like a whole essay that was like 150 words, that, uh, not words, 150 pages. <laughs> what a long essay. <laughs> I know. God, I couldn't bring myself to read it. Um, but yeah, so it's like 150 pages and it's a whole thing about how this this particular murder case may be related to a very famous book that... Everybody probably has read. Um, Okay, so are you ready? Ready. For this. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about the Hall and Mills murders. Have you heard of them before? No clue. Oh my God. I can't believe more people haven't talked about this because it is like, it's just like this really evocative, crazy story. So let's dive in. Okay. Okay. I'm so excited. Woo. Um, So disclaimer, this case is a disaster. And there's like, (laughs) (laughs) there's so many different things that I stumbled upon when I was researching everything. And they're all coming from different places. So I couldn't back up anything other than the like main meat of Mm -hmm. the case. Um, Then there are some small details that I saw repeated thoroughly throughout multiple different sources I looked for. So I tried to make it as cohesive as possible, but just let me know if anything gets weird. And you're like, what does that mean? Or like, that doesn't make any sense. Okay. So on September 16th, 1922, a young couple was walking down Easton Avenue in Somerset, New Jersey. They were strolling down a popular lover's lane that was lined with crabapple trees. And they turned, <laughs> I know, right? Of all the trees, crabapple. I have a giant crabapple in my in the yard in front of my parents' house, actually. It's nice. Good detail. Yeah. Walking down a, a lane of crabapple crab trees. Crabapple trees just How romantic. in the breeze. <laughs> um, so they turned off of Easton Avenue and went down um, DeRussey Lane, which is just sort of this little dirt path and heading toward an abandoned farmhouse um, when they stopped when they were stopped by a gruesome discovery um, there was a man <laughs> and a woman underneath one of the trees and each of them had been shot in the head oh dun, dun, dun. okay the bodies had been carefully placed underneath one of the crab apple trees and the weird thing about these bodies is the placement of them so the feet had been placed towards the tree to, for both of the bodies, and they had been laid out really neat, just like it was almost like they were sleeping, is um, a description that one of the witnesses said. Um, the man's hand had been placed behind the woman's neck, and the woman's hand had been placed on his knee. So we have, I actually have a picture of it if you'd like to, Ooh, let me see. to look at it really quick, and I'll p- make sure to post this for you guys as well. Um, and I can't believe a photojournalist got this. F- close to a um a crime scene but um this is what they look like hmm. <laughs> yeah so, it's kind of grainy because it's so mm-hmm. old but yes. so that's, that's really it does look like they're just taking a nap mm-hmm, just underneath the tree and so snuggling exactly 
So as you can see from the picture, the man's face was completely covered with a Panama straw hat, which is just like a boating hat. It's just like one of those mm -hmm. like really stiff straw hats with a weird rim on it. And the woman's neck was covered with a scarf. But this didn't really do much to cover up the enormous amount of maggots that were all over her neck. And a quote from the crime scene was, a mass of maggots from ear to ear. So that's really gross. I don't Ugh, know. Maggots gross. are disgusting. I, I hate had them. She, how long had she been there? So that's the thing. Um, so how many maggots there were suggested that the bodies had been there for at least... 24 hours just because um based off of like entomology and the study of insects we can tell um how long a body has been placed somewhere because eventually it will start to decay and attract um oh what are, what are the name of scavengers yeah scavengers, that's yeah. What um so maggots are scavengers and they eat dead things so that's how we know that it's been there for that long um, so the woman was wearing a blue dress with red polka dots, um, black silk stockings and brown shoes. She had worn a blue velvet hat that was sort of like on the ground next to her. And then her scarf, like I said, had been wrapped around her throat. Um, according to the autopsy report, she had a bruise on her arm and there was a tiny little cut on her lip and she had been shot three times in the head. So I'm going to show you where she was shot. There okay. is, um, an image from the trial. And um, it's really interesting because it, everything where she was shot is very congested on her face. So the first bullet entered underneath her eye. Um, the second bullet went into the middle of her forehead. And then the third is through her temple. So it's in a very aggressive place yeah. to be shot. Like it's right in the face. Um, and I don't know anything about ballistics, but... Um, the first bullet had actually like entered through her brain and then came out in a in this similar place near the front of her face. But again, I don't know how that happens, but whatever. Ugh. Yeah. So kind of gross. Yeah, that seems very aggressive. Like walking yeah. up that close to someone to Ugh. I know, I know. And what a what a terrible way to die. Yeah. Looking someone in the <laughs> eyes that's shooting at you. Yeah, exactly. I've I can only imagine what that would be like. Um, so the man next to her wore a pair of glasses underneath his hat. He had a small bruise on the tip of his ear and there were abrasions found on his left little finger and his right index finger. Um, the wound, there was a wound found about five inches below his kneecap on the calf of his right leg. His watch was missing and there were some coins in his pocket. Um, he had only been shot once in the head, right to the side of his um, brain, right underneath his ear. Mm -hmm. Um, there you go. They were shot with the same weapon, which was a 32 caliber pistol. Uh, like I said before, the bullet entered the man's head over his right ear and exited through the back of his neck, actually. So he was like shot at a really weird angle. Um, and again, the woman was shot in those three places we talked about. So another thing about the, the woman um, is she her throat was slit from ear to ear. So it Why? was completely open. Girl, I don't know. But he shot. <laughs> so he shoots her three times in the face and, and is like, that's not enough. We're going to cut her throat. Okay. Just for good measure. Yeah. So she's so her throat is completely open, which is why there were so many maggots, because mm -hmm. it's an open wound. Um, and obviously the bodies had been there for over a 24 hour period. We would later find out that um, they were most likely killed on the 14th of September, which was about two days before the bodies were found. Um, so this is really aggravating and as someone who really appreciates forensic science and understands the importance of it, especially in Kate, like in trials and in murder cases like this, 
I'm this made me so mad when I was doing the research for it, just like the disrespect of the crime scene. So when police entered the scene, it took forever the, forever for them to actually close off the area. And a crowd had gathered at this point to look what was going on. Um, so basically any evidence in the surrounding area of the crime scene was completely lost or destroyed. So if there was any footprints or, um, I don't know, like DNA or cigarette butts or anything, not that they would be able to test any of this that this because this was the 1920s, like but still, all of that evidence was completely destroyed, especially footprint evidence, which was used heavily. Um, back then because they didn't have any other like technical mm-hmm. um, like evidence that they could test because again DNA testing not really until the 80s that that really started to um, pop up um, and I really I just hate that like it was just bad cop stuff just yeah. like they didn't take care of it they completely destroyed the crime scene and ultimately it would come to fruition in the trial that they didn't have any decent evidence clearly well, yeah. so it's uh, yeah, and I think they let the killers go free. But anyway, um, so it's just really annoying. <laughs> um, again, 1922, there's a little bit of forgiveness that I can give these yeah, people. Yeah, they don't know all of what they're destroying. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So another interesting thing is that the tree that the couple's feet were based up against had been completely stripped of bark because people were trying to take souvenirs from the crime scene. I have a picture of that, too. <laughs> So it's <laughs> just like it's so irritated. I mean, I would probably do that. Yeah, right. So here's <laughs> all of these people gathered around a tree trunk and they're literally stripping it. This isn't like they literally are stripping the tree. They're taking pocket knives and taking off the bark, which I'm like, what? That's just odd. That's yes. like, I'm like, why would you want to remember the the brutal the bark, murders yeah. of like these two people? Um well, I mean, we're talking about it right now, so yeah, we I know, want I to remember it. But yeah. that's weird, that's, it's just a weird thing to take. Yeah, exactly. Like, they could have taken any... Well, I, I mean, what else would they have taken? It's just yeah, in the right. field. I don't know. It's just weird that there's so many of them. Yeah, gathered around. And that was before the bodies were taken away. Wait, they're still laying under this tree? Yeah, that was when, that was like before the police had secured the area. That's no. really weird. I know. It's like a total disrespect and they're like of what's smoking happening. A, one of them is like smoking a cigar just casually. Yeah. That's it's just, weird. It's just really weird. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So, I, I didn't think it was weird, but now I do. Yeah, exactly. So um, as I, I've shown you several pictures of the actual crime scene, and as a journalist and as, as someone who works at a newspaper that covers crime, we both have done that, um, I know that the standard for photojournalism is that you don't take pictures of the bodies because it's disrespectful before the identities have been released to the families. <laughs> the photo that I will put in the description is so invasive. It's the one of the two of them mm-hmm. just laying there. I can't even believe a photojournalist got that close to the bodies and nobody did anything about it. And they snapped a picture of them and they mm-hmm. weren't covered in tarp. There were no policemen around. They just took the picture. So just with that, it's already sensationalized. And this the press in this case is nuts. And Ugh. it gets even more intriguing with the other piece of it pieces of evidence well okay so i would take the picture but i wouldn't publish it without like a full discussion with my editor like i would definitely if i were that close to a crime scene as a journalist and no one was telling me not to i would 1000 percent take a bunch of pictures but i just wouldn't you know tweet them out or something like right exactly but then then there's like and i'm someone who like i don't want to take a picture if it's not going to be published you know what i mean like it just seems like why would I do that? You know, 
Um, I would do it just because you never, I don't know, I'm just very skeptical of all police officers. So you never, totally fair. You never you know when yeah. that could come in handy. Mm-hmm. You can always put it into evidence if mm-hmm. need be, which I don't think is what these photographers were planning on no, doing. No, I think they're just like, murder, murder, murder. Yeah. But so, murder didn't happen as much back then. So no, they're was, way more excited about it. Right. And you know, like, I don't know, 1920s. We'll get into why it may have been so sensationalized because there's a slight love affair involved with it. <gasps> yes. Um, so with that, we'll segue into some interesting pieces of evidence that actually came from the crime scene. So the police discovered pieces of love letters. Sorry, I'm going to cough. <coughs> Are you okay? Okay. Yes, I'm good. Okay. So the police discovered torn up pieces of love letters that had been scattered around the two bodies like confetti. <gasps> I know. <laughs> and a calling card had been placed at the base of the man's shoe. What's that? It's just like a little business card. Oh, okay. Um, so the card identified the man as an Episcopal priest, Reverend W. Hall, but the woman lying next to him was not his wife. <laughs> The woman that was next to him was Eleanor Reinhardt Mills, a member of the church choir. Ooh, I know. scandal. <laughs> so Eleanor Reinhardt was born in 1888, and she married James Mills. And I know their address, too. They were, lived at um, 49 Cameron Street in New Brunswick, New Jersey, which is the town over. Um, James was act- acting sexton to the St. John Evangelist Episcopal Church in New Brunswick, which is where um, Reverend um, Hall was working. Mm -hmm. And he was a full-time janitor at the Lord Sterling Elementary School in New Brunswick as well. Um, They both, they had two children, Charlotte and Daniel. And Charlotte was 18 when this happened, and uh, Daniel was 12. So I can only imagine what that would be like for those people, for those poor kids. and then Edward Wheeler Hall, the other victim, was born in 1881, and he married Frances Noel Stevens, who came from, like, total old money. She had, like, just family for days, and she was, like, an elitist group of, like, the higher class people in New Brunswick and just, like, in New Jersey in general. So um, there was still some class system issues in the 1920s. They were slowly starting to disintegrate, but this is the early 20s, so... Um, you know, like the jazz age and the movement into the like the swinger stuff, just like it, you know, it, it hadn't really cemented in society yet. So old family, old money was still a huge part of Eastern society. Do you mean swingers society. or swing dancing? No, sw- like, you know, the little the little people with the with the skirts. Not the okay. skirts, the I dresses. Thought, I thought you, well, you said swingers. <laughs> yeah, isn't that what it's, they're called? Well, that's also like. I know what swingers are. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are they called? The the nineteen twenty flappers. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. They're flappers, not swingers. And yes, I know what swingers are. I mean, I was like, do I need to tell you what they are? <laughs> no, no, I know what a swinger. Anyway, so the flapper generation okay, was starting to brew, but again, there was still this whole level. I'm sure they level. used that word, swingers. Yeah, I'm sure they called them that too. I'm sure they did. They yeah. swung around. You're not wrong. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, he was raised in Brooklyn. He got his theological Brooklyn, degree. We love, we're we going love, to Brooklyn we're on a friendship trip. Yes. It's going to be very exciting. <laughs> um, so, he received his theological degree in Manhattan. All that Ooh, good stuff. Cool. Um, and then he obviously married this poor woman for money, and she was seven years his senior. So, you know. Um, yeah. They didn't have any children either. 
Um, and they also lived in New Brunswick. And again, he was a reverend at the St. John, um, the Evangelist, whatever, Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. Um, the two had been carrying on an affair for four years. And it was not really a That's secret. confirmed? Yeah, confirmed for four years. Um, it seems like everybody really, they like totally knew what was going on. <laughs> like they, they, nobody doubted for a second that the two of them were having this like flaming love affair. Um, and it's just sort of like this, it started in the same old way. Like um, Eleanor hated her life with her husband and she sought same, sort of like companionship with mm-hmm. the reverend and she was in the choir. So they were in close proximity to each other. And so the two just sort of bonded. Um and the relationship wasn't like it wasn't just like a, a fling. It was they loved each other. Yeah, it was really intense. And that's gotta um, be hard when you're not living in a time where it's acceptable to just get divorced and be in love. Like you have to right. have an affair. Absolutely. If you aren't into and it doesn't really seem like the reverend married because he was in love. So No, he I don't t- know about he totally Eleanor. married for money. It th- like that that's just what happened. And um there are people who can like confirm that that's why they he just married her. To be in love. I know, and so um, the reason why we know that their love affair was so, so intense is that the love letters that were found scattered around their bodies—they <laughs> wrote love letters. That's yes, so cute. Exactly. They were obviously to each other, and I have an excerpt from one of the pieces, and it's it's a little saucy. Oh, okay. <laughs> so let's hear. Get it. ready for some 1920s love letter writing. Oh, honey, <laughs> I am. Fiery today, burning, flaming love. It seems ages since I saw my babykin's body and kissed every bit of you. End quote. <laughs> you were making such intense eye contact with me. Yes, I know. I feel... <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, love letter from 1922. That's so cute. Oh I my know. gosh. It's not like the most romantic thing in the world, but it is very. It was like intense, and they clearly were like yeah. having a very carnal relationship. And um, I just, I think it's sort of hypocritical for a priest and a reverend to have a love affair with a, while being married to yeah. a married woman. It's just really interesting. It's sad because I feel like he really just loved her and yeah. he didn't really have any way to love her other than have an affair mm-hmm. that would have been socially okay, especially as a reverend. Yeah. But seriously, like, I don't know. I That's weird as a leader of an organized religion that yes, and is like that's not okay. Right. And it wasn't secret. That was the other thing. It was like totally open. And he was, was just like no one Yeah, no, no. <laughs> nobody nobody like took any sort of I don't know. Nobody did anything about it until obviously they were killed. Maybe so. maybe everyone just noticed how in love they were and just yeah, let them be. Just let them do their thing, you know. And um I didn't get anything on James Mills, which was um Eleanor's husband. He's sort of, like, just there. Like, he didn't really, you know, do much of anything. I mean, he's this—I heard him described as, like, super unambitious and just, like, this just like this guy who existed. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> you know, like, I wonder what it would be like to be married to someone who just, like, wanted to be a janitor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, then you have the Reverend the writing Reverend, these saucy letters. Yes, who's just like infatuated wants to with kiss you, all of your body, all of your body. <laughs> I don't know who wrote that, <laughs> so we'll, we'll speculate whether it was the Reverend or, or whether the it was Eleanor or wh- whoever. Um, but yeah, so was there any handwriting comparison done? No, not to my knowledge. They did know that um, the love letters that were scattered around them were between the two, b- between um, Edward and um, 
Eleanor. So whoever wrote that letter, I don't know, that little excerpt, um, but clearly it was reciprocated if more love letters had been scattered around them. Their um, names even sound like Ed and L. Yeah, right? How <laughs> freaking cute is that? Anyway, um, so the other element of like not being secretive is that people automatically knew like on the scene like who they were mm-hmm. and who the girl was so they were like m- members like prominent members of the community right absolutely and i actually did a little bit of digging on the population census i couldn't find anything for the 1920s but currently the population in somerset is only 22,000 people and then mm. the population in new brunswick is only 57,000 people so there's only roughly about 80,000 people in this <laughs> is your microphone gonna fall off <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like very focused on well, the mechanics. Well, the other day oh, and yeah. I thought I broke it and yeah. then you fixed it. So, yeah. okay. We'll just don't touch anything. Well, I was trying to Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but anyway, so the population That's not a very big population. No. And just to compare, Fort Collins, we have 167,000 people living here. So, Somerset is where the Wait, bodies Wait, that's were- currently. Yeah, that's currently. So, so I imagine I it was imagine. a lot smaller. Yeah, exactly. So, small community, really intimate. They knew they not well. They kind of knew who the guy was because of his business card at the base of his foot. But then they totally figured out who Eleanor was mm-hmm. immediately. So this love affair was not a secret. Um, and their towns were super quaint. And he ran a giant church. So of course mm-hmm. people are like, yeah, of course we know who that is. Um, so the card, the lovely card with his name on it, was actually passed around the crowd of people. <gasps> yeah, could they do fingerprint evidence? Yeah, in twenty. 20- People, yeah, I know it was stupid. Um, and the um, if you there is pictures of the card, and on the back of it, there's fingerprints everywhere. I'm like, well, yeah, that's because you passed it around the crowd. Like, <laughs> oh God, whole bunch of dumb people. Um, hate old time police work. Super annoying. Um, so yeah, I that's, agree. Pretty that's, terrible. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's basically the the beginning of the case. Um, how the bodies were found and who these people were. I'm intrigued. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, it's it's really interesting. Very heated love affair. Um, so for the next part, we're gonna start talking about the trial and the other interesting bits about this case. Um, so tune in next time to listen to the rest of the Hall and Mills murders in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Thanks for listening to Killer Vibes. Bye.